Papa know-how. This October, it's no trick. A five-quart jug of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil is just $26.99. Plus, get a treat, a $10 Visa gift card. Because the only thing spookier than ghouls and ghosts is engine sludge. That's Mobile One five-quart jugs for $26.99 plus 10 bucks back. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 10 31 19. Boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to the most electrifying podcast in all of internet radio today. You are listening to the Sports Wire. We've got a jam-packed episode for you today. Well, I say that every week, but I actually mean it. <laughs> My name is Big Daddy Cool Vinny Apicella, and I'm here with you today is Wednesday, May 8th, 2019. We are just a handful of days away from Mother's Day. If you haven't gotten your mother something or haven't, uh, you know, held your mother in her glory for Mother's Day, then you better get on to it. I mean, I have to wait a week because I don't get paid this week. <laughs> but it is what it is. Anywho, I want to thank you all for listening to Sportswire. And we are coming to you live from historic New Britain, Connecticut, as always. I do want to mention that uh, we are working, we are hard, I am hard at work on Sportswire Audio Network's uh, website. It's uh, in its uh, infancy right now. It's not fully set up yet to get all the links together, but www.sportswireaudio.com is purchased and it's up on the web so you can visit it. Uh, like I said, it's in its infancy. Not everything is fully fleshed out yet, but we're still working on it. I do want to say that I'm happy that Free and Clear is making its return to Sportswire Audio Network, as well as Connecticut Panthers football this coming season. Uh, This summer we are going to be doing that, the exclusive audio home of the Connecticut Panthers semi-pro football team in the NEFL, the New England football team. Okay, uh, football league I should say. Like I said, my name is Big Daddy Cool Vinny Apicella. And, you know, we're working on getting the sports breakdown back. So, we're, 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 we're getting there. Plus, not to mention, you can find Sportswire everywhere. Everywhere you find, anywhere you find podcasts. Let's see, we've got Apple Podcasts, we've got Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Radio Public, uh, let's see, Podbean, Podcast Addict. Um, let's see, not to mention, uh, I'm working on trying to find it to get it on Amazon or Audible, uh, everywhere. And, and then you can always go to Spreaker as well. Uh, I'm working on trying to get that Spreaker uh, name changed or the, the uh, link changed. So it's not B-L-E-S-N anymore, although I might have to live with it for a little while. But it is what it is. I'm also waiting on Facebook right now because I want to... I want to see where it goes because the last one got disabled unfortunately but it is what it is anywho 
Uh, got a lot to talk about today. I'm going to introduce uh, some other stuff in there into this podcast. If you were a fan of Sportswire back in the day, back when it originally aired on Spreaker, you knew that we talked about everything. And there were times where I didn't even talk about sports uh, on my podcast at all, um, be it from anything that was going on in terms of hot topics or uh, uh, current events, I shall say. Uh, it, it, that's what we talked about. We talked a lot about the election of President Trump and how the Democrats, at, even at that point, and still are, trying to discredit him. The liberals just won't be happy with anything. Um, unfortunately, there's such a divide in this country right now. There, you're, there are very few people that are literally down the middle, but there are a lot. Are they either one side or the other? And, well, we all know that liberalism is a mental disorder. Uh, but that's <laughs> that, that, that goes without saying at this point. But we've got a lot to talk about today. I want to talk about something um, before I get into any uh, sports or wrestling or anything i want to bring something to light um for those of you who follow facebook (laughs) or uh you know i want to find out from people and i'm going to kind of put this out there so whoever listens please tweet me uh it's sportswire uh, i'm sorry twitter.com slash sportswire audio um or twitter tweet at sportswire audio um and yeah tweet at sportswire audio that's what it is but with that being said i want you to tell me if you consider certain websites as credible like medicalkidnap.com or courtroom uh courtroomrecorder.org or whatever it is um courtroomwatch.com.org uh are they credible news stories, news sites. And the reason why I say this is because uh, another one is uh, healthimpactnews.com. And the reason why I say this is because there's uh, somebody close to me, okay, uh, shared this. And it has to do with Middlesex Hospital in Connecticut and Connecticut DCF. And the headline is Pregnant mom traveling through Connecticut with husband stops at hospital where they forcibly drug her and perform cesarean surgery to kidnap baby. Okay, this was uh, at Middlesex Hospital. Um, And doing a Bing search about it, because I don't really use Google too much, but doing a Bing search about it, I found it on other, shall we say, less incredible sites. Like, uh, uh, I think it was a Ron Paul, (laughs) Ron Paul site or uh, medical justice or you know these things where it's not Fox News or it's not CNN or MSNBC we know that if it comes from CNN chances are it's 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 falsified somehow uh, but you know it wasn't even on any of our local networks like ABC like uh, WTNH or Fox 61 or whatever so you know okay so medicalkidnap.com is the same as health impact news so I'm going to read this, all right? And, you know, excuse me for being dark. This is a current event, and I want to find out if people think it's real or it's fake. You know, because, again, you know, it tugs at the heartstrings. It really does. Or is it real, but is there more to the story? 
You know what I mean? Now, okay. So, here we go. This is from healthimpactnews.com. In a story so horrendous that it reads like a Hollywood script to a movie that could only be fiction, Tennessee parents Susie and Peter Saad have decided to go public with their story of alleged medical abuse and medical kidnapping in Connecticut. Uh, Peter and Susie both have master's degrees and were former med school students, which is where they met. However, they put their plans for medical school on hold to start their family. After delivering two boys by C-section birth, or cesarean birth, Mom's dreams were finally realized when she became pregnant for the third time, and this time it was a baby girl in answer to her prayers. Susie wanted the best for the new daughter growing in her womb, so she she sought medical help to try and have a natural birth, uncommon, but not impossible when the first pregnancies end in cesarean births. Alright, now for me, I'm going to kind of put something in there now. This is rather new. Most of the time, if you had a C-section birth, uh for your first child, they kept going through the same incision. As a matter of fact, that happened to me. I was born by C-section from my mother, and then so when my sister was born, they just went through the same the same scar, the same incision to take her out. My mother didn't do it natural. Okay, so let me, let me uh, read on. The family was living in Tennessee, and Susie was not happy with the prenatal care she was receiving. Peter's family is from... Uh, Peter's family is from New Jersey, and after one of his family members died and they traveled to New Jersey to attend the funeral, they found a birthing center that Susie there that Susie felt comfortable with in terms of trying a natural birth. At 38 weeks of pregnancy with her daughter, Susie was experiencing some anxiety and suffering from bad nights of sleep. Family and friends suggested she take a few days off with her husband while family members watched the two boys. They knew about a lovely place in Maine they had been wanting to visit and decided that the six-hour trip would do them some good. Okay, I'm going to put that on hold. From New Jersey to Maine, I would probably say has got to be more like a an eight- to nine-hour trip. I wouldn't necessarily say six hours. Uh, I mean, that's obviously uh, here nor there at this point, but I, I'll read on. Okay. As they drove from New Jersey to Maine, Susie experienced some pain and, to be on the safe side, decided to stop at a hospital in Connecticut. Another, okay, another sidebar. Why stop at Middlesex? First of all, this is where I question it. Because, okay, so let's, let's say for argument's sake, they were driving 84, which 84 takes you into Massachusetts and, and then up to Maine. But in reality, coming up from New Jersey, the quickest way would be up to be able to go 95 up. This way you go up 95, Yale's in New Haven. Yale has a much better, uh, you know, reputation, I shall say, as Middlesex, uh, than Middlesex, and is also, you know, uh, has much more prestige. So, again, I'll read on. This is when the real nightmares began. Her husband's family is originally from Egypt. Although Peter grew up in the United States and has been a U.S. citizen since he was a child, his family in Egypt are Coptic Christians, a minority group in a country that is predominantly Muslim. Before they fully understood what was happening, Peter was allegedly being accused of being a Muslim terrorist and fleeing the law, and Susie was accused of being a drug addict, simply because she had some prescription medications with her to treat her high blood pressure and diabetes. Okay, another pause here. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I understand, like, right after 9-11, you know, in the years following 9-11, people were on high alert against Muslim terrorists. It's not like that anymore, so you can't just look at somebody and say, oh, you're a Muslim terrorist. I mean, come on now. I, and especially at a hospital. I don't specifically feel that's correct. Um, and then accused of being a drug addict because you had prescription medications for high blood pressure and diabetes. Okay, well, that could easily be checked. I mean, every every hospital, for the most part, is connected nowadays, so a couple of phone calls. Oh, yeah, we have this, you know, here are her, her, uh, here are her medical records. This is why she's taking them. Uh, you know, if they were pain pills, I could understand a drug being, you know, accused of being a drug addict if they were pain pills. Uh, especially when you're pregnant. So, again, that's a little sketchy to me. But she was allegedly drugged and forced to have the cesarean section, and the hospital staff then allegedly worked together with social service workers to t take custody of her baby. After c six months of trying to comply with everything, the Connecticut Department of Children and Family was requiring of the parents in order to get their daughter, baby daughter back, they have now decided to go public with their story. And then, okay, sub-headline, parents falsely accused and never arrested. Since going public, the parents have published over 38,000 words describing their ordeal on Facebook and a GoFundMe page. And they claim that they have multiple recordings as well to back up everything they say. Release the recordings. That's what I would do. Release them to the public. You know, go to the news stations. Release them to the public. Not social media. You know what I mean? It's like, why go to Facebook first? Go to a freaking news outlet. Okay. Susie writes, Please help us. My husband is African-Egyptian-American. How is he African-Egyptian-American? He's Egyptian-American. Is, is Egypt in Africa? I thought it was Asia. Well, the Middle East. Well, either way. Egyptian-American. We have two beautiful, healthy children together and live in Davidson County, Nashville, Tennessee. We were driving through Middletown, Connecticut while I was pregnant with my third child after visiting family in New Jersey when I felt some pain in my back, so we decided to stop at a nearby hospital, Middlesex. Once inside, they started making all of these accusations against us that because we are a mixed-race couple, that we look like criminals. Okay, time out. Just by, you know, now mixed-race couple is not everybody's cup of tea, not everybody's for it, not everybody's, you know against it, but not everybody likes it. But that doesn't mean just by looking at it that, they look, that they're criminals. I know plenty of mixed race couples that are not criminals. That just, that's just ridiculous. I, I don't I don't get that. There might be more to that story. Uh, they started accusing my husband of being a Muslim terrorist and me of being a drug addict. None of it is true. My tox screens were all negative and my husband and I are both Christian. Okay. They told us it is just too suspicious that while that we were driving through their state while pregnant and accused of, of has, accused us of having no prenatal care, of being from crummy low-life families, being criminals running from the law, of being Muslim terrorists, drug addicts, drug lords, or both, gypsies living out of our car, and international baby sellers, among other things. Okay, time out. Okay, time out. I have to, I have to put it, you know, a little bit of. of context here, because nobody would actually say that, in my opinion at least. They could easily check it. Okay, this is the hospital we normally use, this is my doctor. Make a couple of phone calls, you get the medical records. Okay? I'm sure, I don't know the time it was, 
whether it was the middle of the night or what have you, but I doubt it because they said that it was a six-hour trip. So from New Jersey to Connecticut is two hours alone, okay? And it's about five or six hours from Connecticut to Maine. So, you know, so two hours into their trip, I'm assuming they probably left around noon, you know, or earlier in the day. So this is two o'clock in the afternoon. You easily, easily call the doctor to obtain the medical records. That's easily done. You know, and and I don't know. That seems fishy to me. And then she goes on. Each and every time we would disprove one disprove one accusation, they would accuse us of something else. And say, okay, now prove us wrong. Charges were never filed against the parents. Okay, next sub headline: allegedly drugged and forced surgery to get access to the baby. Again, you know, it's like how do you go through surgery? You know, there's HIPAA laws that require you to sign a document, a piece of paper saying that you, you know, we allow you to treat us here. You can easily refuse that, especially going into surgery. I don't, you know, unless they forge a signature, which I don't, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Susie writes that after medical staff examined her, it was determined that she was not in labor yet. She was allegedly forced to undress in front of male interns, and then she was allegedly drugged and forced to have a cesarean surgery after informing them that she was leaving the hospital because she did not like the way they were, the way they were treating her. Okay, again, nobody forces you in any hospital that I know of that, you know, to undress in front of, uh, you know, people of the opposite gender. Okay, um, and you always have the right to leave, you know? So, I don't, you know, I, I don't get it. I really don't. I mean, the only thing I can think of is there's more to the story. Okay, so Susie wrote some more. Two nurses then pulled off my pants and underwear right in front of a whole room of nursing staff whom I've never met, including male staff. Before they had even given me anything to cover up with, they ordered me to further remove the rest of my clothes. I asked them to ask the male nurses to please leave while I was undressing. They refused. As I was taking off my bra, one of the male nurses turned his head and smirked. After I was forced to take off my clothes and was sitting there for at least a few minutes completely naked, a few a nurse tossed a fabric gown at me, giggled, and said, Here, honey, cover those things up. Okay, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't think... Honestly, I think this is fabricated. The more I read into it. It was completely dehumanizing and humiliating. I was then forced to urinate in a cup in front of two hospital staff who called me a drug addict. My toxicology screen was negative, as was the baby's. After that, I went to get my clothes to put them back on to leave. Another nurse asked me what I was doing. I told her that I didn't like the way I was being treated and that I was leaving. She apologized for what the other staff had done and said that the and said that they just get a lot of junkies, quote unquote, in there, and that I should at least stay long enough to get an IV and let them check my cervix to make sure the baby was okay. I agreed to stay only to get my cervix checked and I and get an IV in any in case anything was wrong. Okay. Being a former med student, why would you if you felt you were being treated wrongly, okay? Why would you agree to stay? Google, you know, use your phone. Find another hospital. You know, Middlesex is in the middle of the state. 
You can go to Yale, which is a half hour, 45 minutes away. You can go to New Britain, which is 25 minutes away. You can go anywhere else. I mean, there's there's other hospitals. Why stay at that one? Put, you know, I mean, I, I you know, okay. After they put the IV in, the nurse injected clear fluid into my IV, but wouldn't say what it was, and I started to get really dizzy. The doctor came in and checked my cervix and said that I was barely one centimeter dilated, if that. She asked me if I had any medical records, but never once asked for a release for anything. I told her I thought I had my ultrasound report in my email and started looking through my phone. She started. She finally said, it's fine, we'll just get it after the C-section. I told her no, I wanted to be allowed to leave to go back to New Jersey to have the baby where we were staying with family. She told me that they had me scheduled for a repeat C-section. Again, unless there was a problem with the mother or baby, they wouldn't go ahead and schedule a C-section without the person's consent. You know, I, I don't understand. I, I don't know. Unless they were there on a bad day or whatever, to me it seems completely fabricated. But I'll go on. I told her no, that I did not want to have another C-section and that I wanted to birth my daughter naturally this time and that I wanted to leave. I told her if they didn't let me leave, we were going to call the police and report them for holding us as hostage, hostages in the hospital against our will. She said, go ahead, the law is on our side in Connecticut, and if you don't stop resisting, we are going to call the police and have you arrested for child endangerment. And they will come in and chain you to the bed and force you to have the surgery anyways, which is bullshit. Because you can't be arrested for child endangerment if the child hasn't been born yet. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could, but whatever. Okay. The nurse even wrote in her report to the DCF that the C-section was met, was to be done on short order, meaning that it was to be done very quickly. She also admitted that we were asked that we asked to leave the hospital before the C-section was performed, and that they refused to let us leave, and held us there against our will, saying that we were a flight risk. A flight risk for what? For skipping out on a bill that you probably have insurance for? Or whatever, it's like, for what? Um, we, what excuse did they have to have done a C-section so quickly and against my will, even though there was no medical need to do so? I was not in any distress. I was, I never even felt a single contraction. The baby was not in any distress and her heart rate, heart rate was fine. There was absolutely no medical need for them to have forced a C-section on me. The reason was because they wanted to take my daughter out of my body just as quickly as possible, just so they could steal her from us. We had been at the hospital no more than an hour, and they were already wheeling me back to have the C-section. I was never given the opportunity to labor and birth my child naturally, and I never ever gave them permission to do the C-section or sign anything, giving them permission to do so. It was as if my body was not my own. I was not allowed to make any of the decisions regarding the birth of my daughter. Which in Connecticut, being a liberal state, you know, it's like you have all control over it. Even the baby's body is your body in Connecticut. Um, what they did to me at that hospital completely violated my rights as a person, as a parent and as a human. They wanted the baby inside me and drugged me to cut her out against my will just to get her away from us so they can keep her. They never ever intended to allow us to leave the hospital with our child. Again, 
It's like if all your stuff is coming back clean and you, and they get the medical records from your normal place, why? Like I said, there has to be more in the story. Baby Sophia suffers in hospital as mother is allegedly harassed. That's the next sub-headline. This is long, so this might be my whole podcast. We're already at 23 minutes in. I would love to get to, you know, I might share this to, to uh, Jim Cornette, get his take on it. <laughs> um, once the baby was born, the parents were allegedly continued to be treated as criminals, preventing the mother from properly nursing and bonding with her newborn daughter. The following heart-wrenching video was captured where you can hear the frantic cries of the baby and how the baby stops crying as soon as she is held in her mother's arms, in spite of the fact the mother is very stressed and crying herself. So, um, going on, Susie writes, That first day I cried all day as I held my newborn daughter in my arms. I kept falling in and out of sleep, but I made sure to hold her close to keep me to me to keep her warm. I also made sure to hold her in a specific way so as not to smother her if I fell asleep, and I continued to feed her and try to nurse her even though I knew my milk had not come in yet. Which, if you're at 38 weeks, you have two weeks left to go, your milk is already starting to leak out of your nipples. I mean, my son was born, you know, I have a son, so I know what the deal is, and you start producing milk usually by one to two months prior. I'm sure it's different for all women, but two weeks prior, it's it's there. It's got to be there. Um, as I was holding my daughter and crying from all the emotional and physical stress I was going through, my evening nurse kept coming in and asking me about Peter, my husband. He was asleep at this point, and she kept asking me what he was running and hiding from and who he who was he really. I told her that he really was my husband and that we were not running from anything or anyone. She continued to harass me, saying that if she had a daughter who came home with some Saudi Arabian Muslim guy, quote-unquote, who was, quote-unquote, running from the law, um, that she would disown that daughter and never let her in that house again. She told me that as far as she was concerned, an Arab was no better than a Mexican behind a wall, and that in her opinion, and the opinion of the other hospital staff, that I need to just turn him in for whatever he is running from the law for. Okay, now that right there, those two paragraphs, to me, sound like this entire thing is just anti-Trump propaganda. Okay, going on. Then she asked if he was really the father of my other children, if we really did have custody of them. I told her yes, and then asked her to please leave my room. She eventually continued to come back in and kept taking my infant from me while I was trying to nurse her, making up different excuses each time, but mainly kept telling me that she was too tired to nurse. I asked her to please stop harassing me and leave me to bond with my child, but she refused. Okay, before I get to the next subsection, next uh, next sub uh, title, uh, headline, subheadline, I gotta ask, throughout all this time, you and your husband both have phones. Why don't you make a couple of phone calls? Why don't you, you know, get some paperwork emailed to you to print out or, or what have you? I mean, this just seems like there's more to the story. Like, they're just literally saying one part of the story and there's more to it. Like, they're just saying their side of things. And, like I said, they don't go to any actual news sites or news news reports. So, that's just something that's fishy. 
I'm going to take a quick break because I need to get a drink. When I come back, I'm going to read more of this. And then, you know what? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to read more of this. And then uh, I'll be right back with you. My name is Big Daddy Cool Vinamp, so you're listening to the Sportswire, and I'm going through this right now. You know, I, I, I the last almost half hour was done on the story. If you're just tuning in, which I don't know why you would start in the middle of the podcast, but either way, I'm talking about this uh, this story that supposedly happened in, in you know Middlesex Hospital in Middletown, Connecticut, where a couple who was driving through that lived in Tennessee originally, but driving from New Jersey to Maine stopped in because the the pregnant mother was uh, feeling uncomfortable feelings um, and wanted to make sure her newborn or you know her, her her unborn baby was okay and you know su- supposedly she was her and her husband were harassed because they were mixed race the father is of a, of Egyptian uh, is an Egyptian American and uh, she's white. But, you know, regardless, whatever. And that, you know, she was drugged and the baby was kidnapped from her, from DCF or whatever. So, you know, and she was just absolutely humiliated in front of all these hospital staff and everything. All right, so I'm going to continue. Uh, The next sub-headline is Mom Denied Medical Care and Baby Taken Away from Parents. No Charges Ever Filed Against the Parents. While in the hospital, Susie was allegedly denied permission to leave her hospital room to get the prescription medications she needed for her blood pressure and diabetes. Again, the doctor should know that, so they would be monitoring her medications. Maybe she was so out of it and she didn't realize that the nurses were giving her her meds all the time as well. Whatever. As uh, Susie writes, As the hours went by, I could feel my blood pressure getting higher and higher. I asked my husband to go get my blood pressure medicine out of the car. The nurse came in and said he was not allowed to give me any outside medication. I told them I needed to take my blood pressure medicine. Um, The nurse told me that the doctor had discontinued all my medications. I told them they could not discontinue medication they did not prescribe. She told me I could take it up with the doctor in the morning. Take it up with the doctor in the morning. I told her, no, you don't understand. I have to have the medicine to control my heart rate and my blood pressure. She told me she didn't care and that I could take it up with the doctor in the morning. I begged and pleaded for them to let me have my blood pressure and diabetes medicine. They all told me they didn't care. That's bullshit right there. I doubt that seriously. I don't know any doctor or nurse, okay, that would ever say they didn't care about a patient. I can understand not, you know wanting you know outside medicines but if it's in the chart it's in the chart you know what i mean all right so anyways all right going on i was crying about how we had been treated and that my heart rate by then was nearly 200 and my blood pressure was 180 over 120 which is very high 
after I, but how would she know? Like, like literally, how would you, I mean, I guess if it's hooked up to there, but usually the nurse comes in every so often to take it, and the nurse would see her blood pressure was high and give her the medication. So, that right there, that's a little fishy. Anyways, okay. After that, Peter and I were exhausted and both slept for around eight hours straight. Next morning when we awoke, my blood sugar was also very high, and they finally gave me the metformin I was prescribed by my general practitioner. Then a neonatologist came into our room and started telling us that he knew we did not care about our baby because if we did, we would have been in the nursery for every feeding, and that if he wanted to, he could have us prosecuted for neglecting her just so just because we didn't show up for two of her feedings. We explained to him everything that had happened and that I was made to go the entire previous day without any of my medications, that I had been in excruciating pain, and that we were both exhausted and just needed some sleep. He said he didn't care and that we should have been there. We asked him, isn't the nursery there to give the parents some rest? Which I thought so. He said no, that this was a baby-friendly hospital, and that we, as the parents, were supposed to do all the feedings. We told him that we didn't send our daughter there willingly. He changed the subject and stated, started saying that he knew we did not even have custody of our other children and that we would not be allowed to keep Sophia anyway, so there's no need for us to see her anymore. Again, I, I don't get it. I don't understand how... I, don't, I honestly don't feel like any hospital would ever have people doing this unless there was more to the story. I started crying as Peter was telling him that it wasn't true and that we do have custody of our other children. He accused us of kidnapping our other two children that he said he knew we actually, we did not actually have custody of and trying to make a break for the Canadian border and refused to tell us who told him that we didn't actually have custody of our other children, which is not true in any way. We asked him how could we be trying to run for the border if we didn't even have our other children with us at the time. He didn't have an answer. We begged and pleaded with him to please let us see our baby. He told us that we would be allowed to see her only for feedings and that if we missed even one more single feeding, that we would not be allowed to see her anymore. Again, that to me is bullshit. He told us that the DCF would, that the DCF would be there to take custody of her on Tuesday and that he was going to testify against us about, he, about how we neglected her by sleeping during her scheduled feeding times about how I refused to sign a medical release for my prenatal records. I told him that wasn't true and that I refused to sign anything. I asked him if I signed the medical releases and we make her an appointment with the pediatrician in Connecticut, would we be allowed to keep our daughter and take her home? He laughed and said no, that if we thought we would be going home with our daughter, we were dead wrong and that we would not be going home with her for a very long time, if ever. And I highly, highly, highly doubt that it was ever being said to anybody. I, I don't see it. I'm sorry. Like I said, must be more to the story. All right. Susie writes that they already have the court date set to terminate the parental rights in November of 2019, allowing them to adopt out the baby. Which there should be a public record of, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Even though they do not even have, uh, Susie continues to write, even though they do not even have a guilty judgment against us yet, they are so confident they will win that they have another court date set for us for November of this year to have our parental rights terminated. And for what? What was our crime? 
Our only crime was to drive through Connecticut, <laughs> walk into the hospital to make sure everything was okay with my pregnancy and the baby, and that was it. By the time we realized how hateful they were being attacking us and we asked to leave, it was too late. They held us captive inside the hospital until they had illegally cut my daughter out of my body and never had any intention of let us, of letting us go home with her. What they, do, what they are doing is not only wrong, it is illegal in so many ways. Please, is there anyone out there who can help us? Please don't let these people steal our daughter's lives, our life from her. Okay. Before I get to the next uh, sub-headline, again, that just seems like it's it's... It doesn't seem like it's like it would be any doctor or nurse that I know of that you know oh you'll you're not going to see her for a very very long time. Listen, okay? My son's mother, who has had three kids by three different guys, my son is the oldest, has never had does not have custody of any of them. Okay? And even she was never told, oh you'll never see your 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 daughter again by any hospital in the state. And she got to go home with them. <laughs> okay? So, uh, you know, and she's got a rap sheet a mile long from, from hospitals. So, with that being said, it's like, you just, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, this to me is unbelievable. And I don't, you know, I don't know if I necessarily believe it. Okay. Parents forced to travel between Tennessee and Connecticut, lose home, and treated like criminals. Going on. The parents eventually left the hospital and the baby was placed into foster care. For a while, they stayed with Peter's family in New Jersey, only three hours away. But eventually, Peter had to return to work, and they were forced to go back to Tennessee, 20 hours away. So it was a 40-hour round-trip drive. It says dive, so right there, it's a typo, uh, to see their baby daughter for a two-hour supervised visit. Their problems were just getting started. Unfortunately, as they faced persecution... Oh, their problems were just getting started, unfortunately, as they faced persecution in Tennessee, also based on the events in Connecticut. Okay. Uh, Susie writes some more. Then, a couple days after Thanksgiving, three Nashville detectives came to our door, yelling and screaming through the door that they were the police and to let them in. It was really scary at first. We opened the door and let them in. They came in and looked around. They looked at both of our children and asked us what had happened. Asked us what happened. We told them what happened and how the hospital told us if we were if we signed over our medical records to prove we had prenatal care, they would give us our child back. Because initially that is what they told us. Now six months later, and we still don't have our baby back, we realized it was never true. After hearing what we had to say, they were really very nice to us, and we really appreciated their kindness. Apparently, while we were gone, the Connecticut DCF had called the police in Tennessee both in Brentwood at my parents' home and at our home in Nashville, and told them that we were being investigated for some terrible crimes and that our children were in danger. <coughs> Excuse me. They had the police go to all of our neighbors at both homes and tell them that they were that we were being investigated for terrible crimes and that if we were spotted at either of these places, they should immediately call the police. Okay. Again. Yeah, please canvass the neighborhood. But they usually just ask. And they don't say they're being investigated for terrible crimes. They just say we want to know or whatever. One of our neighbors at our home in Nashville told us that he had been told that we were being investigated for beating our children and terrorism. Quote, unquote. 
Again, the cops would never say anything about that. Now, none of the rest of them will even speak to us. People that we used to go to neighborhood barbecues with and attend Christmas events and 4th of July gatherings together now jeer at us as we walk our dogs and children down the street. It was humiliating, completely unnecessary, and we never did anything to deserve it. Then the Connecticut DCF told us we had to prove that we were not gypsies living out of our car by giving them a copy of the lease to our house, so we sent them a copy of our lease at the house we were renting. Then they called up, lobbied, and harassed our landlord, and got them to kick us out. They asked us to quote-unquote vacate by the end of that month, and then we had to spend tons of time and thousands of dollars moving our family and all of our furniture from the 2,000-square-foot house into another home. Okay, that is bullshit, because that, again, that would never happen. I mean, I know the DCF is corrupt, okay? I know it is, you know, but usually they would just call up and verify the legal standings of the document. Are they living there, yes or no? I mean, I know people that work for DCF, and while they're inept at times, they're not this... This this to me seems like Officer Barbrady from South Park. Move on, people. Nothing to see here. You know what I mean? It's like that. Yeah. Okay. The hospital allegedly then did the unthinkable and sent them a huge bill for the time they were confined there. Susie goes on. Now this Middlesex hospital and the practice where the doctors who forced the C-section on me, Crescent Street OBGYN, uh, are saying that I owe them nearly fifty thousand dollars. It is out of network for my insurance and for holding us hostage at their hospital, performing a major surgery on me against my will, abusing and torturing us, refusing to give me my diabetes and blood pressure medicine until I got very sick, having to go without it, and then stealing our child from us, from us and kicking us out. My stitches got very infected and started collecting pus while we were staying at a nearby hotel in Connecticut, waiting for them to release our daughter, and then started popping out of my skin. Okay. There's a couple problems I have, okay, before I get to the next sub-headline. A couple problems with that I have, okay? If you notice that your incision is getting infected, you have a phone. I know you don't know the area, but Google other hospitals. Come on now. Seriously, use your freaking head. See, this is why I think there's more to the story. The more I read it, the more I don't believe it. The more I read it, the more I feel like it's... It's either fabricated or there's more to the story. Okay. Baby Sophia allegedly suffers in foster care. This is the next sub-headline. Susie writes how the foster care family taking care of their baby girl is allegedly receiving $1,000 a month, but also using public assistance to receive subsidized food and preventing them from providing better resources for their daughter. They also put her into daycare at only eight weeks old, where she developed a very severe life-threatening infection. And how would they know? Like, if DCF was trying to keep your kids away from you, how, how would they know that? Okay. Susie continues to write. These days, every time we get to see her, she is sick with respiratory illnesses, diarrhea, and terrible diaper rashes. And being in daycare for two weeks, our poor little Sophia ended up in the hospital with RSV fighting for her life. I don't know what RSV stands for, but something respiratory, I would assume. Um, she had a 104 fever, and she would scream it in pain as her airway passages had to be periodically suctioned. 
Her chest was rattling so loud. I have never heard such a rasping noise come from such a small infant. It sounded like a vacuum cleaner or a lawnmower, just listening to her breathe. The hospital staff at Connecticut Children's Hospital were, were so extremely hateful to us because we did not have custody of our baby. They acted like we had tried to kill our child, and that's why she was in the hospital in the first place. When in fact the reason she was there was because the foster parents and the DCF insisted on sending her to daycare at eight weeks old. The foster family they have her with is poor and is essentially using our daughter as an extra income. They live in a tiny little house in Waterford, Connecticut, and have cheap used babies cheap used baby supplies they get for free from the state for the precious little girl we so worked so hard to have. Okay. Tiny little house in Waterford, which Waterford from Middletown. Well, okay, I know they play some more than they can. Several of the car seats they have been used for her are expired, and we have big How are car seats expired? That doesn't expire. There's no expiration dates on car seats unless, you know, it's like new laws go into place. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um,. In addition to the free health care, free child care, free diapers, free wipes, free formula, and free baby supplies they get from the state, this quote-unquote foster family is also getting paid $1,000 a month to hold our daughter as their legal hostage. If they did care about our child, they would in, in keep insisting on sending her back to daycare after she nearly died from RSV. They are uneducated, middle-aged, and do shift work. One of them works during the day, and the other one works at night. What kind of life could these people possibly give to our little girl when she is 10 years old? They will be in their 60s. Okay, again, I, and, and again, I think DCF has better screening for the, for the foster family. So the more I read it, the more I'm, I'm suspicious that it's not true. What kind of life could she ever have, never getting to know her real family, never getting to know who she really is? These are the people they are trying to say she's better off with growing up. She's better off growing up with. These are the people they are having, are they're trying to have adopt her against our will. What kind of life can they possibly have with her? Our daughter deserves so much more. She deserves to be with her family. We love her so much and just want to bring her home. Okay. Now it goes to a plea for help. Um plea for help is, is the, the next sub-headline. But before I do that, I want to check something. Because, like I said, um, you can go to the judicial website and look all this stuff up. So, I'm going to check this while I'm on the website. Excuse me, while I'm on my phone. Okay. Um, menu. Case lookup. Civil family, small claims, okay, and this is all you know. It's 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 public knowledge. It's supposed to be at least, okay. Um, I guess by party name, we'll go with Sod. That's supposedly their name, right? And uh, location, all case category. We'll just go with all case type. Uh, it's family, so Department of Children and Families. There we go. Location, search, search. 
Party name Sod not found. Okay. So I'm going to screenshot that. But I want to see because they because she said to have had another um another last name. Hang on. Uh in the thing in one of the videos I'll look up the other last name, uh, Gunderson. Okay. All right. So Gunderson. Right there. How about All right. So here checking Gunderson not found. So the whole thing is fake. The whole thing is fake. I mean, civil family small case case claims look up. So that's that's just all there is to it. It's just to me the fact that you can't find anything online about it tells me it's fake. But I continue on because, like I said. I want to find out what your thoughts are. DCF in Connecticut has reportedly tried to get the parents to bring their other two children into Connecticut to quote-unquote visit their sister, but the parents are not listening, fearing that they will kidnap those two children also. They have already spent a great deal of money on legal fees with no results, and it seems that the attorneys in Connecticut were afraid to go up against a powerful child welfare system. Which is bullshit, because any attorney will take a case if it if it makes, you know, gives them a big name. So, okay, Susie goes on. My husband and I both have terrible nightmares about them torturing us and stealing our baby. Our life will never be the same. Every night after I tuck my child, tuck my children, I cry myself to sleep wondering where my little Susie, where my little Sophie is and if she's okay. I wake up every day in my own home and my own eye, and open my eyes. I hug and kiss my husband as he leaves work. I sit my little boys down at the table to feed them breakfast, but as I look out the kitchen window, I realize I am still their prisoner. We are in constant fear that we will never get our daughter back, and that we will lose our other children as well. They made all of these claims about us that we quote-unquote must be criminals, and we must quote-unquote be terrorists, but in reality they are the criminals who unjustly stole our child, and they are ter the ones terrorizing us. They have told us that we have quote-unquote no chance of winning against them and <clears throat> that th when they get their judgment against us after they get their corrupt officials to find us guilty of whatever it is that they are saying we are guilty of, I am still not even sure, that they will send a referral to the DCF in Tennessee to take our other children from us based on this Connecticut judgment alone. Then we will have to pay out another ten to $15,000 pay for another attorney to try to fight to get our children back. Everyone who initially told us they would help us has eventually abandoned us. They are threatening, lobbying, and bribing everyone in our path not to help us. We paid nearly $5,000 to an attorney in Connecticut who did nothing for our case and is and is now wants another $10,000. He was initially on our side, but after he said he wrote some emails and that took up a lot of his time, and then started saying he wanted thousands of dollars more. We didn't have it to give him. He started turning on us. Again, that's bullshit. That would never happen. 
he won't even speak to us anymore until we pay him the money, and he's basically told us we can't win anyways. Every other lawyer we might we have contacted in Connecticut that acts like they might be willing to take our case has told us they want ten to fifteen thousand up front. We have spent all of our savings on lawyer fees and driving back and forth to Connecticut to see our baby nearly thirty times so far. They keep trying to con us to take our other two children into their state so they can kidnap them too. Please help us get our da- poor daughter away from these terrible people. Please help us find a good lawyer in Tennessee or Connecticut to get our case transferred to Tennessee, where we live. Please help us raise money for a new attorney so that we can get our daughter back. If there's anyone out there listening, please help us. Okay, so here's a disclaimer that that, that, that puts out. Everything published here in, is based on public information. Health Impact News has had no contact with the family and has not been asked to publish the story by any of the family members. Um, so, I don't, I don't believe it. I, I honestly, I don't believe it. I, I, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't believe it one bit right now. Um, and we've also, we've talked almost the hour about this. You know what? All right. With that said, I'm going to, I'm, like I said, it should be, uh, all the, all the information should be public knowledge on the state of Connecticut, uh, website, right? Um, and I couldn't find anything, you know, and it's just a simple case look up by name and I couldn't find anything. So with that said, I, I find, I have to call bullshit on that one. If someone out there knows the truth, DM me on Twitter, uh, or, or or it's at Sportswire Audio or me at Big Daddy Cool VA, um, Instagram as well, uh, at Sportswire Audio or at Vinny's underscore or losing underscore one fifty. Um, yeah, please let us uh, let me know, you know, if it's real or not. Anywho, okay. Now that the hour is just about up, I'm going to take my last break, come back, and uh, I will talk about a little bit of wrestling and send you on your merry way. So, I'll be back. I'm back, and after spending 50 minutes talking about what I feel is a fabricated story on Facebook for clickbait, um, I, I did, I, I actually forwarded it to, or reposted it, and tagged Fox 61 in it, so now we'll see whether or not, you know, it's going to be, you know, real or not, but you know what I realized? That Rick of Otter Wrestling is is on the Stadium Network, which I didn't even notice. I didn't even realize it. And they have not only uh, Ring of Honor Wrestling, but they have WOS Wrestling 
on there on Sunday nights, which I never uh, heard of. It's from the UK. So, damn. Uh, Alright. So, with that said, tonight being the 8th of May, uh, right? <clears throat> Yankees have lost to the Mariners 10-1. to It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking loss. But they did win, I think, 7-2 to yesterday. So, it's just sad. So, going into some uh, MLB standings, if I can. Uh, let's see. Do they have the standings anywhere? Uh, let's see. Yeah. That's not what I want to see. More. MLB. Standings. Here we go. Alright, so going over the Major League Baseball standings. In the American League East, Tampa Bay Rays are in first place, 23-13. and 13. The Yankees are two games back at 21-15. and 15. The Red Sox are five games back, 19-19. and 19. Uh, Toronto is at eight and a half back, and Baltimore is ten and a half games back. Central Minnesota is up on top, 23-12. and 12. Cleveland is at four games back. Detroit is at six games back. And uh, Chicago White Sox are at seven back. And the Kansas City Royals are 11 and a half games back. Uh, in the West, the Houston Astros are up on top at 22 and 15. The Seattle Mariners are three games back. Texas uh, Rangers are three and a half games back. The LA Angels are five and a half back. And the Oakland A's are six back. In the National League East, the Philadelphia Phillies are up on top, 21 and 15. The Braves are three games back. New York Mets are four and a half back. Washington Nationals are seven, and a half, seven games back. And the Miami Marlins are 11 games back. In the Central Division, Chicago Cubs, 21-13. Milwaukee Brewers, half a game back. St. Louis, as a matter of fact, Milwaukee has two more wins, but three more losses than Chicago. Uh, the, the St. Louis Cubs are a game and a half back. The Pittsburgh Pirates are three and a half back. Cincinnati Reds are seven games back. And in the West, the LA Dodgers are up top, 24 and 14. Arizona Diamondbacks, two and a half back. San Diego Padres, three games back. San Francisco and Colorado are tied at the bottom for seven games back. Both under 500, 16 and 20. Okay, so that's your baseball report. Uh, WWE news and notes going forward. WWE, Vince McMahon came out with his stupid thing of uh, this wild card rule now. As you know, they have the separate Raw and SmackDown brands. Um, and they, uh, you know, obviously the different rosters, they all have their, they each have their own champions and everything. Now, Vince has instituted this wild card rule where three people from Raw can go to SmackDown, being quote-unquote invited to SmackDown, and three people from SmackDown can be invited to Raw. Now, a lot of people are saying, a lot of people are saying that means that the brand extension is, the brand split is coming to an end. I really hope not. And here's why. 
Okay, the, the, I mean, the first time of it was the McMahons now control both Raw and SmackDown instead of having, you know, Stephanie and Shane as separate commissioners and, you know, having, you know, the two separate general managers. You know, so now the McMahons are, are, are covering everything and, you know, now you have, now you have them on all, on both shows and, all right, so now, here's a, here's a, why I don't want it. People are complaining, like, guys like Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, okay, are getting underutilized. Even now, as it is. If you end the brand split and all the guys are able to be on Raw and SmackDown, they'll only have the top guys on and even more people will be underutilized. A guy like Bobby Lashley or, or, or Drew McIntyre is going to end up losing his spot and losing his TV time, you know? And I guess it's because the the ratings are declining, but that's not because of the brand split. That's not because of the, you know, the, the talent that are on each show or the lack thereof. It is simply because of the fact that the writing has been horrible lately. And honestly, they don't need script writers. You know, listening to the podcasts I do listen to, you know, I listen to, uh, hell, a ton of them, um, and, and reading the websites that I read, WWE does not, has, Vince McMahon has completely turned the WWE into a, more of an entertainment company than a, you know, a wrestling company, so to speak. Or, you know, and, and it hasn't been a wrestling company for a long time. And the reason why is because it's, it's gotten writers. Why would Freddie Prince Jr., a Hollywood writer, be involved in the creative team? I mean, granted he's a wrestling fan, but what does he know about writing wrestling? He knows about writing Hollywood, which there's still storytelling and whatever. But here's the problem. Here, here's the biggest problem that I see. You have people that they don't... How shall I say it? Their writers are sort of controlling everything. And what I mean by that is the difference between now and back in the 70s, 80s, you know, even up to the 90s, is that you have an angle, you have bookers, you know, who book the, you know, the talent into certain storylines or whatever, you know, you book the matches and, and whatever, and you tell them to finish or whatever, but you basically let them work it out together. Promos are not scripted, are too scripted nowadays. You know, back then the promos weren't scripted and people were able to have, you know, their own personality shine through. That's how you get over. Not this, you know, you know, and who said it? I, I read it somewhere um, that down in the Performance Center, before Dusty Rhodes passed away, that was his role, was teaching guys how to do promos and how to talk and how to get over, how to how to do a promo, the art of the promo. Whereas President Trump has the art of the deal, Dusty Rhodes has the art of the promo, baby. Um, and let, so when they come up to the main roster now, they're scripted completely. There's no personality. So, you know, uh, with that said, it's like, guys that are coming up from NXT, we're the Ascension. You know, where are they? I haven't seen them in a long time. 
you know, the AOP. I know one of them was hurt, but where are they? You know? Uh, it's just, it's sad. It's like you do so well down in NXT, you come to the main roster, you, you're a flop. You know, you're good for the first couple weeks, but then after a while, it's like you get stuck with this same bland king. Look at Bobby Roode. NXT champion coming over from TNA. Great, great gimmick. You know, the glorious gimmick. Was on, you know, on SmackDown he did pretty well. Was the U.S. champion for a little bit, you know. But then he got switched to Raw. And he's fizzled. You know, he's put into a, a tag team with Gable. And granted, they were tag champions for a little while. But, you know, it's like still. Now he's back to Robert Roode. You know, he's got a mustache there that, you know, he kind of looks... It's almost like somebody said... <laughs> um, yeah, it's almost like somebody said, you know what, we're going to reincarnate Ravishing Rick Rude in Robert Rude. Glorious Robert Rude. Because that's exactly how he looks. Um, and, and, and that's not the way to go. But he's still he's floundering. Samoa Joe is the U.S. champion. Where's he been? I don't think he was even on Raw this past week. Uh, you know, Finn Balor, I don't think he was on SmackDown at all this week. You know, so, guys are being underutilized as it is, so why would you want to have all of them together now? Unless you're going to turn NXT into a separate brand. And But again, Triple H runs NXT very well. And so many people prefer NXT over the main roster. Over either Raw or SmackDown. Because the guys have their characters and they have personalities a guy like the Velveteen Dream if he goes to uh, Raw or Smackdown he's going to be eaten alive he's going to be or not eaten alive but he's going to be just tossed to the side like every other guy and you can't do that you just can't do that you know it's unfortunate but it's true you know it's like you can't take somebody who's got so much momentum all right, perfect example, War Raiders, or now they're called the Viking Raiders. So, they're, they're, they're the NXT Tag Team Champions. Okay, during this, you know, uh, shake-up, superstar shake-up, they come to Raw, and they're renamed the Viking Experience, Ivar and Eric. <laughs> you know, and it's like the past year, they were on NXT TV as the War Raiders. That's your company. Why? And if you want to change the tag team name, fine. To Viking Raiders. That's what they're called now. The Viking Raiders, not the Viking Experience. But why change the individual names? Ivar and Eric when they were Hanson and Rowe. Um, come on, you just kind of killed your own the image of your own company. You know, it's like, why? I understand if you're coming over from a different company, but it's your own brand. It's your own company. Every other person coming up from NXT to WWE has kept their same gimmick, has kept their same name. Why is it that the War Raiders... Oh, Vince didn't want to have the term war in there. Okay, fine, whatever. Change change it to Viking Raiders, which is still ridiculous, but whatever. But why change Ivar and, to Ivar and Eric? You know, why... I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. That, to me, was absolutely the worst possible thing they ever did. You know? And, you know, and then they change it a week later from Viking experience to Viking Raiders. But it's like, it's just, I don't know. It, it was just hard. But, I mean, look at Harlem Heat back in WCW days. 
when they first got to WCW, they were Kane and Cole. Somehow they morphed into Booker T and Stevie Ray. I don't know how. So, well, I don't know. It's it's hard to, for me to imagine, but... Anywho, um, Money in the Bank coming up on the 19th. Live in Hartford, Connecticut at the XL Center. Uh, you know, the the women and the men are competing. The, the, the match lineup, the card is pretty much already set uh, for Money in the Bank this year. So, Money in the Bank 2019... Uh, the tickets are still on sale at the XL Center. Let's look at the... You know, they're actually having NXT TakeOver 25 in Bridgeport on June 1st as well. So, uh, let me go over that in a minute. Uh, matches currently for Money in the Bank. Becky Lynch defending her Raw title against Lacey Evans. Seth Rollins defending her, his Universal Championship against AJ Styles. Money in the Bank for the men is going to be Ricochet, Braun Strowman, Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, Ali, Mustafa Ali, Finn Balor, Andrade, Andrade San Amos, and Randy Orton. Women's Money in the Bank is Natalia versus Dana Brooke versus Naomi versus Alexa Bliss versus Bailey versus Mandy Rose versus Ember Moon versus Carmella. Roman Reigns versus Elias in a singles match. Becky Lynch defending her SmackDown title against Charlotte. The Miz vs. Shane McMahon in a steel cage match. Kevin Owens defending his WWE Championship. I'm sorry, Kofi Kingston defending his WWE Championship against Kevin Owens. Samoa Joe defending the United States Championship against uh, Rey Mysterio. And Tony Nese, probably on the kickoff show, <laughs> will defend his Cruiserweight Championship against Arya Davari. Uh, then going on to NXT TakeOver uh, 25... Which, amazing, amazingly, I can't believe that TakeOver is going to be on June 1st. Because normally it's uh, right before a major pay-per-view. And this one just isn't. So, <sighs> we shall see. Although, TakeOver Chicago 2 was in June of 2018. Probably right before Money in the Bank. Uh, hmm. Yeah, June 1st, 2019 in Bridgeport. It's, there's no card, I guess. But, amazingly, you know, two big things coming to Connecticut from the WWE. Uh, but, anywho. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, and that's just about it. <laughs> so, I hope you all have, I hope you all enjoyed this show. And I thank you for downloading it wherever um, wherever you listen to it. And hopefully Sportswire Audio Network, it's sportswireaudio.com, will be up and running pretty soon. And uh, it definitely, you know, Twitter at Sportswire Audio. DM me, send me a, a tweet at me or tweet at the network. Uh, let me know what you thought about that story I talked about, about the women in Middlesex. And if you have any idea whether it's true or not. Uh, because I want to find out if it's true or not, or if it's just clickbait. Because a lot of times, clickbait is other parts of the country, never in Connecticut. I don't know why. But, anyway, that's about it. So, thank you all for listening, and I will see you all next week here on the Sportswire. 
Have a good night, everybody. Napa know-how. Why should you buy a 99-cent Napa bag? Because it's no ordinary bag. It can save you 20% on three or more items you can fit inside. Some call that magic. Others say it's the eighth wonder of the world. But whatever it is, it's the best way to save you 20% on brakes, filters, wipers, and more. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 19